Welcome to the Ruled by Magpies podcast. I'm your host Chloe and buckle up because we're about to take a wild ride through the roller coaster of my life. Empowerment is our anthem, resilience is our superpower and fabulousness is our birthright. Let's go. Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to this week's pod. This week's episode is a special episode for National Apprenticeship Week. For my listeners outside of the chaos of my life, the power of my feminism and my passions around violence against women and girls, I am a HR professional. I work as a head of HR and also have my own HR consultancy, One Source HR where I support small to medium-sized businesses with lots of exciting and transformative people projects, which which spans into skills development. My work has managed to inform lots of strategy, practice and process around skill development, and specifically inclusivity in skill development too, in various businesses in different sectors over the last five years. If we're connected on LinkedIn, you may have seen some of my commentary around access to upskill, reskill and education opportunities, especially where socioeconomic disparities exist. And this is something that I'll get more into as we go through this little natter today. Working in UK manufacturing and engineering careers, I've seen firsthand the destructive nature of skill shortages on business viability. In fact, research from Make UK tells us that 36% of vacancies in manufacturing are proving hard to fill as applicants lack the appropriate skills, qualifications or experience. This compares to an average rate of 24% across all industries. So the sector specifically is facing challenges. Manufacturing is the third largest contributor to economic output in the UK, topped only by retail and real estate, so this really is significant on economic prosperity. Whilst I talk here about the manufacturing industry specifically, because that's where the majority of my most recent experience comes from, we know that all industries are experiencing not dissimilar problems. Last year I went to the CBI Future of Work conference where I heard Gillian Keegan, Secretary of State for Education, talk about apprenticeships and honestly it left me feeling furious. She spoke from a place of such privilege. She was dismissive of questions surrounding the long called for action of turning the apprenticeship levy into a flexible fund so that it could go further in enabling employers to support upskilling and reskilling through apprenticeships. So they were able to support things like increasing public transport fares for employees who couldn't afford to get to work on their apprenticeship wage. Her answer, scoffed, was pay them more. Oh yeah, thanks for that. You know, why didn't we all think of that? She spoke about completing her apprenticeship. Many, 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 emphasis on the many, (laughs) moons ago. 
And when asked about the flop in apprenticeship completion rates, she failed to address the problem, but sort of inferred that the youth of today were simply not grateful enough for the opportunity bestowed upon them to be offered an apprenticeship. And she reminisced on how she would have been distraught to not complete, complete her apprenticeship many, 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 many moons ago. This morning, during National Apprenticeship Week, she tweeted that the Tory world-class apprenticeship system would deliver over 5.7 million apprenticeship starts and how competitive this was opposed to labour strategy which she suggested without any clear evidence cited or which I can source would have apprenticeship starts. The strategic use of big numbers here to win favouritism is all too familiar in modern politics when in fact those of us that can be bothered to go and have a look will see that the numbers speak for themselves. So what do the numbers say? Well put it this way There's no point in having 5.7 million apprenticeship starts if 47% of apprentices, that's nearly half of them, drop out before completing their course. Perhaps our Secretary of State for Education should be focusing on work pertaining to the issues preventing completion of apprenticeships as opposed to the volume of them that we can create and offer. But let's face it, Policy and structural change takes time. Gillian Keegan isn't listening to this pod and I doubt she would really give much of a toss about what businesses on the front line are really thinking and feeling, even if she was. The comment from Gillian Keegan at the CBI event that really frustrated me the most was her young people just do what we tell them to do comment. She sort of said, if we tell them to, you know, go and go and do STEM degrees, they'll go and do STEM degrees. It felt a bit like a sucker punch to the stomach, probably because I had personally experienced it. When I was at school, 16 years old, the options put in front of me were science and maths or science and maths or science and maths. Nobody came in to talk to us about apprenticeships. I wasn't given the opportunity of studying perhaps something like health and social care. The army didn't come in to speak to me about my military career options. That particular predatory session was reserved for the perceived naughty kids. And don't even get me started on that one because I think it's frankly despicable. I needed to do science and maths because that was the only option what would get me into a decent career is what I was fed and what I believed. So I struggled through my A-levels, three sciences and maths, scraped through them, working two jobs and living with a boyfriend in a chaotic, unstable environment for the majority of that time. And I went on to get into university to study chemistry. I dropped out after first year Um, Lots of contributing factors, but (laughs) I knew it was not for me. I didn't feel like I really fit in there. I knew at my core it wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I I was working as well. I I had to get a part-time job. I actually moved to where I was going to university 
before starting university, about six weeks before starting university, because I'd got a job and they needed me to start sooner. So I moved from North Wales um, to Yorkshire to start my job and then go to university. And simply put, I could not afford to stay there at university either, and the job took precedence. So I dropped out after the first year and voila, here we are, glowing career in HR. I was earning twice as much as I probably would earn as a STEM graduate, having placed many of them now in my time working in HR, within three years of dropping out of uni. But you bet I had to pay back that student debt. I know that this experience wasn't just my own, but others too. And I've got a guest on the pod today who has a similar experience and will speak about it. But I also know this from the saturated market of desperate STEM graduates. I sift every time I post a job ad in an engineering discipline and it makes me so angry and sad. Graduates have a lot to offer, but skill shortages are here now. And unfortunately, a STEM degree doesn't necessarily give you the practical skills to bridge the gap in theoretical knowledge so you can really add value to a business quickly and this is the key way in which I think apprenticeships have a pivotal role in cultivating a skilled and more quickly effective workplace so we can drive that economic growth. The acquisition of practical skills that employers need at pace and under the guidance of experienced mentors is something that I passionately believe apprenticeships can deliver. And mentorship not only accelerates learning, but it also instills valuable lessons in leadership, communication, problem solving that are essential for personal and professional development. These so-called skills for life that many university students enter the workforce about and one of the ideas that I tabled as part of a curriculum development forum for some courses last year was the concept of health and safety and how important that was to the the rest of the curriculum on this course and how important it was in the workplace that those skills would be utilised in and this is the kind of thing that um, is the practical application that gets missed in educational settings where that practical application isn't practised like it is in apprenticeships and it's really interesting to see because I was part of something last week where an apprentice, a current apprentice in um, my workplace was interviewed and he was sort of asked about what he does day to day and what he thinks about the things that he's learning and he drew upon the fact that at the moment he's getting jobs like sweeping up, tidying around but actually their skills for life having that well-grounded understanding and appreciation for health and safety right now is going to keep him and the future workforce around him safe for the rest of his career, 
whether he chooses to move out of a manufacturing environment and into a retail environment or, you know, progresses and becomes the CEO, those skills and experience and knowledge that he's getting around health and safety and really being embedded now are skills for life. So on the note of apprenticeships and all these things that I'm talking about, I haven't done an apprenticeship. However, I've invited two anonymous guests, a current and former apprentice, to talk on the pod today. I've asked them to remain anonymous so they can really give us a true and unrestricted view on their experiences without feeling that any current or former employers would be upset. So let's hear what our guests have to say on the matter. So thanks for coming on today. Can you tell me about your education journey to date? Yep. So I did my A-levels and then I went on to university and the subject that I did at university was relevant to my A-levels. It was in uh, science and that was really what they push in schools. They tell you you need to do this, otherwise you're never going to end up doing anything useful. You'll never make any money. Um and then once I finished my degree, I did some postgraduate stuff and then I just kind of burnt out. I was unhappy with that. So I looked for work in a different field, completely different, unrelated entirely to my degree. And it turned out that getting a job in my field isn't that easy if you've not got any qualifications. So I went on to do an apprenticeship and I'm currently working on that. And you're in a completely different field now. So what is your apprenticeship in and, and what level apprenticeship is that? Um, so I'm doing a level four apprenticeship and it's in an IT based field. Tech apprenticeships, I think, are definitely something that should be encouraged because it's a massively growing field and it's only going to become more relevant in future i would say they're valuable because they actually teach you the skills in the role so you're actually learning by doing the job and when you first chose to go to university was an apprenticeship ever discussed with you as an option either at school or at home no definitely not schools well, at least when I um, finished my levels, only ever pushed going to university. I think they would only push apprenticeships on the people they didn't think were academic enough to go to university, and I don't really think that that's appropriate because there are a lot of fields that need academic and intelligent people that you don't necessarily need to go to university for. Tell us about your apprenticeship. What was your apprenticeship in? Ah, uh, yeah. So my apprenticeship was in electrical installation. So that was made up of two parts. It was the electrotechnical and the the electrical installation. So that was four years for the GMVQ level three, 
and uh, I did the the one day one day release at college, and the other four days at the workplace. Without telling us who you work for, of course, can you tell us what job you do now? Yeah, so my role has definitely changed uh, a long way from what I started out doing. Uh, kind of environment still the same, but I now work in industrial cybersecurity. So uh, I like to tell everyone that my my cables just got smaller from my uh, from my apprenticeship right down to what I do now, and my my hands have definitely become a lot softer. Quite the journey then. What's it's a really different role now to what you originally trained in. Did you gain any any other qualifications after your apprenticeship, like a degree or anything that took you to this next level in your career? No, so I don't actually have a degree. And um, I, at one point, did look at doing a degree. Um, that, that I was quite lucky; it was going to be funded. But you know, degree—it was a huge amount of work. Um, and to be honest, I didn't see the actual gain through having it. I actually did more um, hands-on skills through the OEM kind of courses. So the actual original equipment manufacturers, the courses that they provided in technology were much more relevant to what I was doing day to day. And it, it turns out actually more relevant for future employers looking at looking at what I did. And they're saying, right, we know I can do what we're asking him for. So so I didn't actually find that the degree were going to be the best route for me. That's really interesting. Are there any skills that you learn during your in your during your time as an apprentice that you think have contributed to your career overall and you still really use and value today? The the skills that I learned as an apprentice and working in, you know, large manufacturing, large industrial sites have definitely carried me through and and it isn't until later on in life when you when you're in your working career that you actually think oh yeah i know how to deal with them kind of people and you realize actually looking back there were the times that you know you probably didn't like when you were younger when there might have been a really strict engineering manager or site manager and and you you know you thought oh no i hope i've got everything right because they can be you know touch fiery a lot a lot more fiery than you, you might sometimes find in an office, especially, you know, I'm only talking, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but, um, you know, that them environment's still them, but it could, could be quite, quite harsh, a bit fierce, really. So, so I think some of them, like, skills that I didn't even realise I were learning of how to deal with certain people have definitely followed me through my career and, and there's something that I'm glad I learnt with as an apprentice. Yeah, people skills is a, a really big one and they tend to be referred to as soft skills, but, you know, arguably they are the hard skills and when you're not in that working environment from an, an early age and learning to deal with those different personalities, I think that is something that can become quite challenging. So why did you choose an apprenticeship at the time? So I chose an apprenticeship uh really because looking at the results that I were going to come out with of, of, of good old GCSEs, you know, um, just weren't good enough to, to move into A-levels, to be honest. Um, 
quite easily I could see at school that, you know, certain subjects I were, I don't think I've ever, I've ever excelled in, but you could see the ones I enjoyed and you could see the ones that I completely just didn't enjoy at all because the results just absolutely reflected it. So I could have scraped into it. It would have been a scrape as well. I could have scraped into A-levels and, you know, maybe scraped through them and, and gone and done maybe a degree, but it it just wasn't going to be the route for me, really, you know. Um, so so that, that really swayed me into, right, what other options did I have? You know, 15, 16, I, you know, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's what made me look at uh, apprenticeships. What did you really love most about your apprenticeship? Um, do you know what? My, my apprenticeship was quite difficult at first. I, I moved to quite a, a small company and, you know, it were a guy that run it, an older guy, and then, uh, then a guy, I reckon he was about I don't know, six to eight years older than me. And it wasn't really the best for training, you know. They should be teaching you this at college, you know. They, they didn't really nurture you. So, I, I, honestly, I found that first bit hard. And then I moved to another company during my apprenticeship and, you know, it was site more site-based work. So there were other gangs of teams, whether it, you know, it were big cable pullers or it were the plumbers on site, scaffolders, ground workers, all that and do you know what you, you started to feel one of a big team then um so so that's when I, I really started to enjoy it there and and as i moved my apprenticeship my uh my money moved up as well so it made the love for it a bit easier no that's really interesting and when you talk about that lack of being nurtured and developed i think there sometimes is this misconception from employers that the nurturing and development side of things, the learning and development is handled by the college or by the education provider. But that's not always the case. And employers have definitely got a part to play in leading and really owning that learning and development. Is that something that you found challenging? And could you expand on that a little bit further? Yeah, it were, uh, you know, certain things that, that do stuff a certain way on site you know, or the company do stuff when then you, you might learn a different way at college. So sometimes when you were asking questions on, you know, on actual actual work, the, uh, the answer's like, well, what are they teaching you in college? Well, in college, you're going to, you know, especially with electrical, you're going to learn the electrical theory and, and everything like that. So actually day to day, how you actually do things or what names they call different devices or tools you know just were were massively different and I remember lads at college used to talk about that what do you put, call a pair of grips oh we call them glandies well we can call them grips and then even someone else said oh we call them dogs and you were like what yeah it's a set of grips even little things like that it's a lot to learn so <laughs> there were there were lots of different stuff um the nurturing of of the apprentices from a from a site level and the people that were there working around and do you know what? That uh, you create them an environment where they feel they can ask as many questions as they want, and I, I think you'll see apprentices flourish. It's really fantastic advice. Good advice for an employer to take on board. But what advice would you give to somebody 
um, possibly in a similar position to you back then who's considering an apprenticeship right now? Yeah, I'd fully, fully say to everyone that, that's considering apprenticeships now that it, it's a great way to go. Um, you know, we're talking about them soft skills. We're talking about skills that you've got uh, in, the, in the actual, you know, environment what, that you want to go work in. I think it's a great way into industry and uh, there's th there's so many apprenticeships nowadays that I'd, I'd fully recommend someone taking an apprenticeship route. Great. You've mentored apprentices over the last few years, I believe. How's that experience been for you? Yeah, really enjoy uh, working with apprentices um, and just seeing them, them grow. Um, there's there's nothing greater than for for someone that works in industry you know like myself i've got a, an absolute passion for industry and when you get an apprentice that's really wants to be there really wants to to do a job has an interest in in the tools and everything you know that goes around what they do and a real pride in the work they're they're just great they're great to be around and and they're, they're just so helpful as well if they're wanting to learn it makes makes everything so much easier you work in a really exciting sector but one with significant skill shortages how important do you think apprenticeships are in solving this problem yeah so so working in a tech role now uh you know i see on linkedin and things like that that um yeah, you know, huge cybersecurity shortage, and and I see a lot of recruiters and everything like that talking about this this shortage. But I also see them, um, you know, calling out things where it's like, we want someone with, uh, you know, X amount of experience, X amount of these OEM qualifications. That one, they're not cheap to get, and two, they they take a lot of time you know to, to build experience but also to get these quals um and the 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 pay the pay is just terrible so it i don't really know the way that people are getting into this industry i uh i find it really interesting to see look are we, are we only taking grads on grad schemes or you know is, is there a better route into, into this industry and i work in it so if i'm not seeing that then how are people seeing this that are wanting to get into that industry? So I think there needs to be a lot more uh, of how to get into that industry. So talking of getting more people into the sector and the workplace to solve these skills shortages, we know from statistics that the gender balance of entrance to technical apprenticeships is massively one-sided, with the majority of them being undertaken by men and boys. So whether that is, you know, your electrical apprenticeships, um, plumbing, cybersecurity, networking, it's the same across all technical disciplines. How do you think we encourage inclusivity in apprenticeships in technical environments to encourage more women and girls into the field? Yeah, that's a, a really interesting one. And, and I look back on my apprenticeship and, uh, you know, out of the, the full uh, class I were in, there were, there were only one female in it and, you know, so, you know, rest rest all males. Um, and, you know, to actually encourage them in, I, I, I think we just need to make sure that we, we show them that it's an environment that 
that is inclusive nowadays. I think there's got an archaic view of of how industry used to be, and I think it's showing that that how much that's changed, and uh, and how much that you know women in tech definitely are celebrated now. So so that's a, a really interesting interesting one in a tech sense, and then interesting in you know them them apprenticeships like you mentioned there, like electrical, like plumbing, like joinery, building brickwork, all them things. You know how do we how do we make them spaces more inviting for women and i think when you drive past building sites and things now and it's considerate construction and and initiatives like that 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 really show look this is not a, just a male dominated space anymore it's really you know opened up so I, I hope that's happening more and i hope that more women do want to join apprenticeships Great. And I know that you've actually mentored female apprentices in, in a technical environment. Um, being sort of at that cold face of it, what barriers do you think they face in their roles that might prevent them from succeeding? Yeah, so so I've had, uh, you know, I've worked with engineers that, are, you know, female engineering apprentices. And I, th I think the... Um, they still get the the old kind of prejudice. Oh, I didn't I didn't know you were you were an engineering apprentice, you know. And it's like they shouldn't have to go and say you know just because I'm on, I can still be the engineer. Don't worry, I'm still gonna come and fix your production line because I will probably do it better uh, and take a bit more care in it as well. Um, so yeah, and, and and one thing as well is is I've nurtured electrical engineering apprentices and and we spoke about. Um, you know things like writing uh, code and stuff like that, and and women uh, and and that meant to be naturally better at it, and they are because the brains work in a more logical way. So you know we we should be advertising things like that um, and saying, look, you know these are these are great jobs with great opportunities in different sectors. Just because you go in an electrical engineer, it doesn't mean that it always looks like this. There's quite a diverse set of roles that you can move on from as well. So. And with um, technological advances like automation of processes, it's predicted that there are going to be huge job losses in the future and that many that are currently in the workforce will need to reskill in skills like cyber, networking and operational technology. Do you see apprenticeships as part of the solution here? Yeah, as we, as we move towards a more digital age, um you know, and everyone's saying, oh, look, the robot's going to take over, or, or robotic automation is going to take over different jobs that, that may have been, you know, more more unskilled labour that they could be fixing. It is, there's going to be a, a huge shift to to people that can go about fixing, you know, that them robotic machinery and things like that. So so I think apprenticeships are going to be a really big way forward to to get more people into an industry that's growing rapidly. And on this basis, how do companies make apprenticeships more appealing to all ages and not just to school or college leavers? Yeah, so I've worked at companies where we've taken mature apprentices. So, so whether they'd be looking at like operators that, are, you know, uh, are stuck in a bit of a rut of, of being an operator you know the the companies that I've worked out have taken mature apprentices and it's it's a financial thing if I'm honest you know they're looking at well 
you know, they might have a home life where, you know, they've got kids at home and things like that. And they're thinking, well, I can't, I definitely can't afford to take, you know, a first year apprentice wage. So I've been looking at the companies that I've worked at of uh, red ringed, you know, operators. So they might got not get any wage rises, but they they kept them at the rate they were on. Uh, and I think that that's the biggest factor to get anyone into an apprenticeship who's at a, a later age that it's it's predominantly financial yeah i think recognizing the skills and experience that somebody can bring to a, a business as an apprentice either at, at any age really as a young person or as an older person is really pivotal to success apprenticeship completion rates continue to be problematic why do you think this is you've touched on it a little bit there with the financial aspect is there anything else and what can employers really do about it yeah com completion rates and, and apprentices dropping out is um is always a thing that that's been a battle like i said um you know the college work that, that you do as an apprentice is difficult especially you know you're only going one day a week it's not like you're indoctrinated in, in a college every day so so then you, you you could finish, you know, a long day at work that could be hard and physical. And then you think, right, I've still got my MVQ stuff that I need to get on with at some point. And I know when I, I was doing my apprenticeship, I thought, well, I've got mates that, that went and worked at Tesco. And, that, you know, they were on more money than me because my first year's apprentice wage were, were a lot less than the minimum wage. And they, do, they don't have college work to do, so they're, they're earning more than me. And, you know, and they're not having to do this college work. So why am I doing this? And I were always told all along, look at the bigger picture. You know, there's a bigger play here. Let's keep going with your apprenticeship because your wage will be double that when you finish. And that lasts you for life, not just, you know, for a few years. So get a skill behind you. Even if, you know, there were, you know, I got advice of, even if you decided not to use it for a few years, they can't take it off you them qualifications once you have them. So, so yeah, it's difficult as an apprentice, you know, watching maybe other people going out earning more money, um, and then you're you're working and feeling like you're having to do college work as well. So, so yeah, I would imagine that's a, a big thing for for apprentices dropping out. Very wise words, and it, it's lovely to hear those sort of positive and inspiring affirmations that that we get as young people from people around us. Thank you so much for talking to me today about this. It's been really, really incredible. And I hope the people that listen to this take something away and can possibly share it. Just on a, a closing note, I loved what you just said. And not everybody, unfortunately, has got positive influences around them in their life to sort of encourage them to go through this route and persevere with it. Have you got any sort of parting words that you would say to those people yeah if, if there's people listening that are on apprenticeships now and and they're they're, they're finding it difficult uh and thinking no I'm, I'm not sure that i'm grasping all this you will grasp it 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 might not be at the same rate that other others are grasping it around you or you might think look i'm not sure actually if i want to to just do this for for the rest of my life if you're three quarters of the way through it then my advice is to finish it you know because it could be something that you regret later in life and just because you've taken 
one route, whether it's a joiner, a plumber, or electrician, it doesn't mean that you end up just doing that. You know, I know plumbers that do were like just you know went through a plumbing apprenticeship, and then they went into heating engineers, and then they went into different types of boilers and heating systems, and honestly, it just expanded, and they they went into so many different roles and it, it's the same in electrical and same in joinery and everything else you once you've passed and you've got them certs that's you then that's your grounding but you can you can go off and, and follow things that that look more passionate or oh, i really like that part of my you know my trade so you, you can diversify so if you're halfway through three quarters worth just keep going it, it will be worth it <laughs> Apparently, in the UK, we want to improve social mobility, which is basically the movement of your socioeconomic status. But how do we do this when opportunities and resources, like apprenticeships, automatically disqualify people from certain socioeconomic backgrounds by simply not being fit for purpose in the first place? The current apprenticeship rate of pay is £5.28 per hour, this rate of pay applies to all apprentices under the age of 19 for the duration of their course and for apprentices aged 19 or over in the first year of their course. Look, systems and policies aren't going to change quickly, but I urge you to ask yourself not how can we afford to pay more, but how can we not afford to pay more? How can we not? afford to pay more seriously how can you not afford to pay more if you have got these skills gaps and as demonstrated by you know the opening of this podcast with the, the facts and the figures apprenticeships are a really important and viable pivotal piece to play in meeting those skill shortages and ensuring the long-term sustainability of your business operations. How do you expect any apprentice to be incentivized, to feel valued, to feel like a part of the team, to contribute their full attention to their work and studies without the worry of money and the distraction of money when they aren't receiving a fair wage? To make apprenticeships more inclusive and to improve completion rates, we must pay more and this is a hill that I will die on. My granddad says to us grandchildren constantly, should have done an apprenticeship you lot instead of this uni thing. And honestly, we say, granddad, we would have loved to in hindsight, but seriously, we would never have been able to anyway. We all lived independently from our parents. Uh, I'm, a, I'm the eldest sibling of four of us, by the way, so... The four of us lived independently from our parents between the ages of 16 and 18 by, well, from the ages of 16, 17, 18, we'd all left home and lived independently because of circumstances at home. How could we have afforded to do that on an apprenticeship wage? I hear people argue that apprentices don't contribute as much, so they shouldn't receive any more than the national minimum wage. But welcome back to Chloe Calls Bullshit time, because I call bullshit on that. 
apprentices do start with a shitty end of the stick, let's face it. Cleaning up, sweeping, tidying, filing. But if they weren't there to do that, would it still have to be done? Yeah, it would. And would you have to pay someone more to do it than you pay the apprentice? Yeah, you would. So maybe stop speaking about apprentices like they owe you some sort of special gratitude for imparting your knowledge on them and giving them an opportunity and start treating them like the opportunity, like they are valuable members of your workforce and like they are the key to a sustainable future for your business because they are. We've got such limited time today and I haven't even touched the sides on developing exciting and attractive development pathways to engage apprentices and attract them. Perhaps I'll do a blog on that if anybody's interested. I'll stick a little poll on Spotify so if you listen there let me know and if you'd like a blog I can get one sorted. Thanks so much to my guests today and thanks for listening. Normal programming resumes next week so expect chaos and I have a real corker of a rant to share with you about Mean Girls the Musical. Ciao ciao!